Welcome to iPad Pros, the show all about using your iPad to be productive and get work done. I'm Tim Chen, host of the show. When people say, oh, it's not a real computer, it's like, I can do everything that my job requires with this, and it may not be exactly the way that I would do it on a MacBook. Like, I could, you know, just alt-tab between this and this and this and this. You know, I got I got 20-plus years of muscle memory in me. I know how to make a computer do it a lot quicker than I can sometimes an iPad, but there's trade-offs that you're going to get with that that's going to be a much bigger pain. Like, I may not be able to connect into a network. You know, I may not be able to get a usable network connection. I may not be able to, you know, have something like center stage if I need that for where I'm at. Welcome to iPad Pros. We're just days away from the announcement of iPadOS 15, and there will be a special episode next week all about that. But before we get to that... I want to spend a good amount of time covering the new iPad Pro 5th generation with the Liquid Retina XDR display. I asked Brian of the Infinite Loopback Podcast to join me to discuss these new iPads. He upgraded from the 10.5-inch 2nd generation iPad Pro from 2017 to the 12.9-inch 2TB with 5G model that was just released. At the time of recording, we had both spent a little over a week with the new iPads and discussed in-depth all about the new additions and upgrades to the fifth generation iPad Pro. Beyond just talking about the new iPad Pro, we do dive into how he uses the iPad in his role as a senior sales engineer. One fascinating tidbit of his workflow is how he uses a Raspberry Pi to create a personal VPN to access his home network anywhere in the world. Before we dive into the interview, I just want to remind everyone they can get episodes early and with embedded chapter markers for just a dollar a month over at patreon.com slash iPadPros. Right now, there are two episodes releasing at the end of June already available to Patreon supporters. You can also get extra content like iPad Possibilities, iPad Ponderings, and iPad Historia by supporting the podcast at higher tiers. You can also support the podcast simply by leaving a review on Apple Podcasts. Every review is super helpful signaling to Apple to show this podcast more in search, helping new listeners discover the show. With that, here's my interview with Brian all about the XDR iPad Pro. Enjoy. Welcome to the podcast, Brian. You know, I've listened for a long time, Tim, and I'm uh, I'm happy to be here today. It's it's good to have you here to talk about this uh, new XDR iPad Pro. You're the first person uh, that I've spoken to on the podcast about this since actually having it in my hands and your hands as well. Well, I'm glad to be the uh, the first to uh, to discuss it. I was uh, I was sort of in the hospital, and I was like, you know. I'm still going to do this no matter what. There better not be a doctor or a nurse in my room at 8 a.m. on Friday morning when pre-orders go live because I have been dying to get a new iPad literally for the last two or three years and nothing's going to stand in my way. I want this on launch day. And boy, howdy, was was I not disappointed by this at, uh, at all. That's great to hear. And yeah, we're going to dive into that fully. This is going to be mostly about the XDR iPad Pro, but also about how you use the iPad. And... Uh, you're talking about the pre-orders. That was quite the weird uh, experience of the store never going down and just like, uh, what's going on here? And, uh, yeah, we eventually both got ours for for launch day, which is great. It took about seven minutes, but yeah, I was uh, I was uh, killing the app and going back in like uh, something's not right here. Something's not right. I'm not connecting to the right place. Where's the where's the uh, where's the iPad? Yeah, but uh, but yeah, it uh, the pre-orders actually went pretty smooth. You know, they seem to have gotten it figured out. No more. Uh, doing things at 3 a.m. on the East Coast. So I'm real happy about that. Oh, yeah, that's great. And what are you upgrading from? So I had the 512 gig, 10.5 inch, uh, 2017 iPad Pro. It's a great model. 
Yeah. Yeah, I was very happy with it. So in my history with the iPad Pro back in 2015, I did get the 12.9 inch. So I was no stranger to the 12.9 inch. Uh, I had that for, you know, until 2017, I guess. And I liked it a lot. It was fine. It was a little bit on the heavy side. Uh, Mm -hmm. Like many people, I'm probably ashamed to admit that I'd be reading books on it and have it over my head and I dropped it on my face a couple of times. Oh, I did that too with that original uh, (laughs) model in the second gen that that size. Yeah. uh, Falling asleep with it and boom. (laughs) Boom. It's, It's an it's a nice uh, way to wake up. So, uh, you know, I was trying to find something that was more of an ideal form factor, particularly during those days. I traveled a lot more and trying to find the ideal trade-off between screen size and usability for me was something that was really important. So the 10.5 inch, uh, I actually bought the 12.9 and the 10.5 in 2017, and I kept them both for about a week. And in the end, it was like, all right, the 10.5 is just going to win out for this iteration. So the 10.5, though, seemed to be like the perfect form factor. It was not too heavy, not too large. You know, my big consideration is I wanted to be able to shove it into a sling bag, put it on the, uh, put it on a plane with me, have it, have it fit under a seat. You know, these are a lot of things that when you travel for, for work and even personal, but work primarily, you want to be able to have some sort of comfort on that plane versus, you know, having it something unwieldy, something that somebody can lean a chair back into your, your, the plane seat in front of you and bend your iPad. Those types of things were really a a big concern. So I had to pick something that was going to be, you know, sort of, um, the right form factor. So, so that played into my decision. And then when 2018 came around, I had other things that were going on that I wanted to buy. And I was like, you know what, I'll just hold off till the next one. And of course, when the next one came out, uh, 2020, it wasn't that much of an upgrade. So this was a little bit of an unusual cycle for me in the sense that I desperately wanted to get the 12.9. I wanted to go back to the bigger iPad, but I wanted that that upgrade when it finally happened to be something that was really significant and really worthwhile. And that was what, uh, that was what I was aiming for in holding off for the uh, 2021, which couldn't seem to come fast enough. Yeah. So, you know, minor spoiler, when I was in the hospital this past fall, my, uh, my friend and podcast co-host allowed me to borrow his... Um, 12.9, the magic keyboard, the pencil. So I got to play with it for a week or so and, uh, you know, just sort of get an idea of what I was going to be in for. But I was, I was already sold before that. So Yeah, the magic keyboard to me was the big uh, moment of, oh, that's a substantial upgrade with the 2020 model, just having that magic keyboard and uh, waiting another year for the XDR display and the M1. It, a huge jump there from the 2017. And that 10.5-inch model, I have a special place in my heart for that one. That one, to me, feels like the pinnacle of design for the home button iPads, the, the smallest bezel possible in the original you know form factor of that iPad. you know Yes, and there, there wasn't a lot of compromise, which I really appreciated about that iPad, of course. At four years old, mine was starting to have issues, and the uh, the battery wouldn't last. I even had Apple. I even paid ninety nine bucks last fall to have the uh, battery swapped out by Apple, and I still had issues with it. So it was long in the tooth, and um, it got swapped out through the uh, trade in program for two hundred eighty dollars worth of credit on this iPad. So not bad. Yeah, yeah, I mean, I could have probably got more on the open market, but who wants to mess with that, honestly? And Apple won't shortchange you either. So if they say two eighty, you're getting two eighty, right? And you upgraded to the fully maxed out two terabyte uh, cellular enabled space gray or silver uh, model Uh, space gray i went all in on this one this is going to be my primary computer the only thing that i have a little bit of trouble with is when i'm recording podcasts you know there's no audio hijack for uh for ipad pro but otherwise this is going to be my primary computer so anything that i need to do it's going to be done on that unless there's some weird use case that i need yeah yeah for audio recording you need like an external zoom you know, like h4n or h6 to to make that work on ipad is what i've found at least 
Yeah, I've, I've considered building sort of a Frankenpod sort of uh, situation. I've seen a ton of those with the external mixers and the, and the other uh, accoutrements, let's say, that you yeah. need to, uh, to build it. And it just seems like so much trouble when the Mac does it so much easier. Yep, so. if you already have a tool that can do that, why not use that, yeah. Yeah. So, uh, Magic Keyboard as well in Space Gray, I'm assuming? Yes, you know, the uh, the white was kind of appealing, but I'm always worried about how difficult something like that is going to be to keep clean. I mean, the white does look beautiful, but it's just, you know, I have I don't have the best track record. I know I'm a sort of a greasy-fingered fella. You know, I used to, uh, sort of a running joke between me and my podcast co-host, Whenever there are iPhone cases that come out, they always go for the uh, leather. I always go for the silicone. Yeah. Just because I have ruined the leather cases in the past, something gets on my hands and then there's like these streaks on the leather and I can never get <laughs> it off. And it's uh, and I try not to. I'm, a, I'm a, Even before the pandemic, I was a big hand sanitizing sort of OCD clean type of guy and it still happens. So I just get sort of nervous and I know mm-hmm. the, the black will hide the stains a little bit better. Yeah, the... Uh... I was very tempted by the white because it is beautiful. All the photos I see, it's so beautiful. But there's a couple things about the black one. It's I, I use the iPad in this keyboard as like a movie stand in bed sometimes because that hinge is so good. It can be like almost hovering above your head and it's not going to fall. And the white seems like that'd be kind of distracting. And then just the uh, the beauty of the backlit keys on the black keys uh look so much better than backlighting white keys it doesn't seem to have the beauty there especially even in daytime settings that backlight will go on for the magic keyboard and it looks very nice uh just seeing the contrast there which you wouldn't have with the white model so that's a great point that's two great points actually that you bring up because that's also why i used to hate the silver ipad because they would put the white bezels on it and if you're watching a movie having those white bezels are very distracting. Yeah. Which is also another pet peeve of mine about the new uh, M1 iMax that came out as well. Sure. But, you know, that's uh, that's a great point is when you're watching this thing, and it is a great movie consumption device. I mean, the screen is arguably one of the best screens that Apple makes that's not a $6,000 you know, a desktop monitor. So, and the speakers are great, even if you don't have headphones. Yeah. Yeah, So not having that as a distraction is also a great point. I didn't even consider that on the, uh, the white magic keyboard, but had I bought it, it would have definitely been something I would have noticed within the first day or two. Yeah. And I, I prefer the silver iPad pro these days because it's, you see just a faint like outline that just adds a little bit of beauty and elegance, a little, just like glimmer, you know, to, to an av to your setup. And when you take it off the magic keyboard, it's like, oh, it's, it's, it's kind of pretty like that. So I, that's why I went silver. Even though I know that in my mind, I should have, I still have this bias against it that it doesn't have the white anymore. So I probably yeah. should, next iteration, consider that a little bit more. Yeah, it's a nice kind of contrast, especially, you know, you're seeing in the Magic Keyboard closed, even the, the two-tone look. I, I kind of like it. But uh, yeah. Yeah. Um, we're going to dive into kind of all that you do with the iPad. But first, let's talk a bit about the iPad itself. And the screen, I guess, is the first thing that really jumps out at this one. It's you know, the XDR display. And I wasn't quite sure to what to expect with this. You know, it can go up to 1600 nits or 1000 nits for full screen in HDR context. But otherwise, it's the same 600 nits we've had since the second generation, where it jumped from 400 to 600 nits in that gen. And I wasn't sure, is this going to be better outside and different things like that? What's your experience been with the screen so far comparing it to that uh, second gen screen? Well, I haven't exactly taken it outside just yet, so I don't really have a, a frame of comparison there. But something I have noticed, and this is something I saw you mention on Twitter as well, 
is even when you turn the brightness down, it still seems like it's at full brightness. Like it is, it's hard to describe adequately to someone who hasn't seen it, but the blacks really pop on this. I mean, the XDR display, when you're watching something that's in uh, Dolby Vision, is really, really nice. So like things that are on Disney+, Plus, things that are on um, HBO Max, things that are on Netflix that are specifically for that with the, uh, with the uh, HDR, and you pay for the Netflix tier that supports that because uh, I don't. Oh, absolutely. Oh, yeah. yeah. I mean, you got to. I mean, Army of the Dead with all yeah. those zombies and it's 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 such an upcharge with the Netflix. I feel it's like an extra five bucks or something silly, isn't it? It is, but even if you don't do that, so if you do HBO Max, there's no upcharge. For there that. isn't. So no. a lot of the and um, not only that, HBO Max supports the spatial audio, which if you. Uh, mm. Which, yeah. if you're using it on the AirPods, is is fantastic. And Disney Plus, there's no upcharges either. Yeah. So and then iTunes, watch. I've got a bunch of movies there that I get to experience it as well. Oh yeah, yeah. The 4K uh, Dolby Vision stuff in iTunes is the uh, is the same way. But it really, honestly, I'm. <laughs> we may talk about my OCD a little bit through here, but uh, I keep these little uh, screen wipes so I can even keep my little fingerprints off the screen if I'm going to watch something really nice because I want to be completely lost in this when I watch yeah. it. Like it is, it is that great. I mean, this is the thing that if you are on the fence about getting an iPad, this should be the thing that bumps you over. If you if you spend any amount of time watching stuff on your iPad, this is the device to do it with. I mean, it looks absolutely amazing. Now, I should take it outside just to see how it fares outside, but my hopes aren't really up there. I mean, what have you discovered? Have you taken it out to uh, just I to see? I did some just like quick tests and it seemed to be a little better. I need to do more extensive testing because it really was just a couple minutes and my iPad pro second generation i tried to test it but the battery is at like two percent and then it died pretty quickly so uh, i'll have to report back on that one oh, okay but yeah the video content looks amazing blacks in general look amazing so i'm using dark mode now all all day long because it just looks so good uh, it, it really does and yeah as you said max brightness uh, you turn it down 20 percent, and that's when you start to see the brightness actually start to go down it's kind of weird and amazing and i've noticed my battery is lasting longer on this ipad because my old ipad i would have it at 100 percent all the time and now i'm at maybe 60 percent 65 and that's comfortable so the battery's lasting longer because i'm not cranking the brightness to max to be able to see it as well yeah and i've noticed that the magic keyboard actually drains the battery more than just normal use does so if i just detach the magic keyboard and i'm sitting there using it like to you know browse the internet or watch stuff it uh the battery lasts even longer. So the M1 is doing what it is supposed to do. It is it is very, very efficient right now. And I can't wait to see what they do with iPad OS 15 in that regard. But right now, I leave the cellular on as well, even when I'm at home. And just because I'm wanting to see, you know, practically how long can I expect the battery to last. Right. And uh, it's usually like 10, 20% per day if I, if I barely touch it. And then, you know maybe halfway through under normal usage with a magic keyboard attached. So I've been very, very pleased with the uh, the battery life so far. Yeah. And then the other thing I just want to point out is if you're in picture-in-picture mode with an HDR movie, that's a really cool experience because it'll brighten up just that corner of your display for the movie and super yes. noticeable and really cool. Yeah, they've, they've really outdone themselves on the screen. So, you know, if there are people out there that are listening that have the 2018 and the 2020, I know they may be thinking, ah, this is not really that worth the upgrade. I don't know. Uh, if you spend a lot of time on it, I I would say at least the, the 256 would probably be worth the upgrade, if nothing else. I mean, but yeah. Yeah, I've said it before. The second generation iPad Pro to me was one of the biggest generational leaps just because of all the screen tech they did that year. It was ProMotion. Yeah. It was the color gamut, um, True Tone. 
all that stuff yeah. was in that one generation, and the screen's the thing you interact with all day long, and it makes a substantial difference how you experience iPad. And it feels like this fifth generation is another moment in time like that for the 12.9, where you know we had the second generation, now the fifth generation is another leap in screen tech, and that's a big deal for how you experience iPad. Sure, absolutely, absolutely, and it, it can't be underestimated. And the other thing I just want to point out, um, there are some things about the screen that are a bit odd or whatever I should say. <laughs> if you're just scrolling really quickly doing the promotion thing with white text and a black background, it could sometimes turn the text a little blue I've noticed, which is a bit odd. It doesn't sound like a big deal because I'm like quickly scrolling through a list trying to get to some place, but I will notice that color shift a little bit for that. And the blooming thing, it doesn't, I've not experienced it being an issue at all. I've noticed it occasionally at max brightness in some scenarios, but that hasn't really stuck out to me as something I'm looking at and noticing an issue with, at least. There's a there's a certain amount of slack that I have with my old eyes, which I need glasses again anyway. So um, <laughs> certain things I'm just not going to catch as easily. And, you know, as, as someone who, who's pride themselves on their review, you know, I apologize for that. But it's just one of those things where I'm not going to notice the blooming necessarily. The blue, yeah, a little bit, but again, I don't really view that as a defect. I mean, it's just, what are my eyes going to be able to perceive at that high of a, at a frame rate? <laughs> I'm not even really sure. So yeah, I'll give them a little bit of a pass on that one. Yeah, but it's amazing that the ability, just ability to keep the brightness lower and it's still plenty bright, like that's something just really cool because it's supposed to be the same 600 nits uh, for the standard output and it seems to be doing something to make it more visible for me, at least. It certainly feels very, very bright, even when you wouldn't expect it to be. So doing dark mode is also a plus, too, if you first wake up and you grab your iPad. Otherwise, if you're not in dark mode, oh, my God, it's so bright. Yeah. It just kind of hurts your eyes, kind of. And the physical device itself, uh, coming from the last generation, 2020, you do feel it being kind of denser. It's like, oh, it's more substantial. Oh, absolutely. Yes, yes, absolutely. It, uh, one of the funny things that I've noticed in carrying iPads around, especially since the 10.5 was my everyday carry, was when I took this um, uh, out and about the other day, you know, my bag was noticeably heavier. Uh, I also have a, a TomTok case that I use that uh, I saw Christopher Lawley had recommended for his 2020, and that was one of the accessories that I had gotten as well. And it's a great case, but yeah. the whole thing was just huge. And Magic Keyboard, uh, the iPad itself, it my bag was noticeably heavier in my arms right now than it was, you know, with a 10.5 to the point that I was like, I sort of even favored my arm a little bit. <laughs> so uh, it definitely has a lot more heft than the other one. I will not be dropping this one on my face unless I'll be getting a concussion. Right. Uh, it just it just definitely feels uh, heavier. So it's probably in my mind, but... Yeah, it should be about the same as that original iPad Pro 12.9, the one and a half pound um, yeah. size class. So that case you have, it's a case that wraps around the Magic Keyboard as well. It's not like a case for the iPad as a standalone unit? No, no, no. It's uh, it's just a travel case. So I'll have to I'll have to send you a link that you can uh, put in the show notes. But it's a, it's an awesome $40 case. It's uh, one that I saw Christopher Lawley had recommended in one of his videos. And I just I had to have it. And it's it's very utilitarian. It has room for the uh, uh, for the pencil for any accessories. If you want to do SD cards, I have a um, a steel series uh, dongle, I guess, that allows you to put your phone on top of a controller that I just keep in there. Yeah. Uh, I've had the 30-watt charger, the cables. It's perfect, and it's a great form factor. It's hard shell, 
but not really. Mm-hmm. Sort of hard to explain. It's sort of a fabric material. Okay. But it's very, very sturdy. Gotcha. And I just use that when uh, when I travel. So okay. Yeah, I use the um, the Waterfield Designs kind of sleeve case and their little piggyback to they can strap to it to throw my accessories in as my go to. You know the the one thing. The, the Waterfields, all the stuff they make are actually, you know, beautiful. You know, I have the AirPods Max as well, but I don't trust myself with, uh, you know, not being a little bit clumsy. And I'm always just afraid that it's not going to provide any sort of uh, any sort of resistance when it comes to hitting the floor, hitting an object, something like that. So that's why, even though they're they're beautiful and wonderfully made, and I like the way that they look, it's just yeah. one of those things where I, I don't trust myself. So it's like, I always going to get something that's got like a little more ballistic type of... Uh, right. Yeah, it's a hard shell, as you said. Mine's... It it's very there's plenty of fabric there so if I did drop it I feel like I'd be pretty protected. Uh, they do make slimmer sleeves that don't offer that kind of protection, but the one I got the sleeve case it's pretty substantial as far as that I think. But I understand the yeah the hard shell cases and stuff have definitely in their place uh, to and you know for use. Yeah, and I try not to overdo it. I try to get something that's not like you know super you know uh, super uh, ugly and hard cased. And I usually look for something that's it's at least somewhat aesthetically pleasing to go along with those types of things. So yeah, it's some sort of material, but it's not uh, it's not very soft. Yeah, and I like the Waterfield because it's kind of like a family of different things. So. Um, for my birthday coming up, uh, I'm getting like the AirPods Max, and to go with that, uh, the Waterfield Designs case. It kind of matches my iPad bag and stuff, so it's a uh, it's all themed kind of the same, which I like. You're gonna you're gonna love the Max, by the way. Best noise canceling I've had on any, and I used to do the Sony uh, XM two, three, yeah. and four. I've had all four generations, and it's gonna blow you away. But anyway, yeah, I'm I so know. excited <laughs> for those. That'll be another show because those are coming. Uh, my birthday is on June 5th, so that's coming up very soon here. That I'll be getting those and. Oh, ha- happy early birthday. Oh, thank you. So, yeah, I'm um, very excited because I've been wanting these since they came out uh, last December, whatever it was, and uh, finally uh, get to try them out. And uh, spatial audio on the AirPods Pro is just great. So I'm excited to see what that's uh, a better version of that even with the headphone. Yeah. Uh, and then as far as the iPad, the my hyperdrive, uh, the little portable dock thing you throw on your iPad. I noticed the little bracket design for the 2020 and 2018 model doesn't fit. So I have to use that dock kind of naked now because of the thickness. So that is a little just note for those upgrading. Yeah, I got the uh, OWC uh, four port um, Thunderbolt dock to go along actually with my Mac mini, my M1 Mm -hmm. Mac mini. And, you know, when they announced that there was going to be Thunderbolt four support on the iPad, I'm like, Hey, bonus, right? This will work on either one. And I've tried it on both and works exactly as you would expect. So, uh, you know, as, as luck would have it, I have a number of small USB C and uh, Thunderbolt hard drives. Well, not hard drives, SSDs. Yeah. So I'm able to uh, plug those into the hub and then plug those directly into the, uh, the iPad itself, you know, copying large files around for things like LumaFusion, you know, I you really get the uh, the high transfer speeds. Nothing that you would have you would have thought out of the ordinary there. My experiences. I don't know if anyone has seen the uh, Christopher Lawley um, iPad uh, Pro review, but I found the exact same experience, particularly with the Files app. So things can go into the background if you're transferring large files. You no longer need to leave those in the foreground. Uh, it just it it works wonderfully well yeah it's so cool right with the ram being able to just keep going yeah having the that was the other thing about getting a one or a two terabyte model was first of all i wanted to future proof it as much as possible i don't plan on upgrading this thing next year i plan on hanging on to this thing for two or three years at least and uh i wanted to see if it actually lived up to the hype you know if by getting that 16 gigs of ram what are some of the practical differences we actually see and that uh not swapping as much is certainly one of the uh one of the things that uh that can take advantage of it. And I'm, everyone is certainly expecting iPad OS 15 to have something, you know, that seems to take advantage of that 
higher amount of RAM. And that's, that's what I'm hoping for. Yeah, definitely. And um, yeah, curious what happens with that one. That'll be on the next episode as we talk about uh, iPad OS 15. It'll be finally be announced very soon here. And uh, as far as Thunderbolt, so what's in the four port dock that, that you got? Well, for the four port dock, uh, basically my biggest constraint, and again, when I bought this, this was really around the iPad, I mean, around the uh, the Mac mini itself that I had just gotten back in like February. And I bought that with a 512 gig drive, but I like to move, you know, I'll shoot stuff on the iPhone. You know, the iPhone can do some wonderful 4K video and uh, you just got to have the space to save it. So being able to move those files around. You know, uh, my wife is a loves photography on the iPhone. She takes tons of pictures. We take tons of video and she has an eight. She doesn't want an upgrade. Um, even though it kills me. Mm -hmm. So whenever we shoot video, we always shoot it on my phone because, you know, I can, I can do up the, the maximum size and I, I keep a lot of space available. I think I have the five twelve or one terabyte, whatever the largest iPhone 12 pro is. That's what I've done for that reason, because, you know, we go on vacations, we take a lot of video and being able to, to shuffle that video around easily has been sort of a challenge for me in the past. So I didn't want to have to necessarily airdrop things. So I wanted to have, you know, hard drives hanging off of the dock for the uh, M1 Mac mini because I can transfer the footage from one to the other and then, you know, sort of daisy chain. And even though that seems kind of inefficient, it's still faster than moving things around via airdrop or what have you. And you don't want any loss of fidelity. And are the drives themselves Thunderbolt drives or is it going through USB 3? They're USB 3 in a lot of okay. cases. So I, I do have a couple that I've upgraded here recently. So uh, long story short, my uh, Windows gaming machine was getting a little long in the tooth. So I decided to uh, sort of go on a hard drive sp- SSD spree when I would see them on um, Amazon for a uh, for a lowered price. So mm-hmm. I've been buying new hard drives and then shuffling them around. You know, you get this one, you get that one. All right, I'm going to have this one over here and this one over there. And, uh, you know, since I've had some health issues this last year, I haven't shot as much video uh, in the last few months as uh, as I would have liked. But I do have a couple of Thunderbolt drives that were uh, that I have hanging off the uh, M1. But I was able to uh, to try those with the uh, the dock. Basically, just replicate the same setup that I had on my iPad that I was doing on my M1 Mac Mini because the the use case was really kind of the same on the M1 Mac Mini. I'm sort yeah. of ashamed to admit this, but I went ahead and had uh, loaded up LumaFusion and was playing with video on the uh, M1 Mac Mini and yeah, having hard drives hung off of it, you know, where I can consolidate everything into sort of one place. And then I could just kind of unplug it, move it over to the iPad Pro, and ta-da, use LumaFusion over there and uh, and do the same thing. Yeah, and the next update to LumaFusion will enable you to edit directly off of those hard drives or SSDs. It's it's gonna be it's gonna be wonderful when they when they finally uh, do that. I mean, for the price you pay for that product, it gives it gives uh, Final Cut or uh, or a Premiere Pro, which is normally my tool of uh, choice, a real run for its money. So. It's it's amazing what they're able to do, and they don't charge that much for it. So anybody out there who's listening who wants to play with it and take the plunge, buy this software. It's great. Even if you play with it twice and never touch it again, it is worthwhile. Yeah, the one thing I missed from Final Cut is the multi-cam editing, which they're finally doing this year. So yes, yes. That's been the one thing I've be... missed from my of MacBook Air from 2011, and I did use Final Cut Pro on that thing, and it ran very well uh, in its time, at least. Yep. And that's the one thing I still miss, uh, and it's finally coming, so that's, that's fantastic. Yeah, it's going to be wonderful. Yeah, so speaking of cameras and shooting footage and stuff, uh, the front-facing camera on this iPad Pro is a super ultra-wide camera that enable center stage which i've been super impressed with and there are some apps like filmic pro 
that will let you record center stage videos just locally. So if you are using LumaFusion and want to like do some kind of front-facing camera work with that uh, center stage feature, you could actually incorporate that into a video with Filmic Pro, which is kind of a cool way to do that. It surprised me at launch how many things kind of supported this. So Filmic Pro, which is which is also great on the iPhone, if you have that on an iPhone Pro, being able to do dual camera work on that is wonderful. So it's not really surprising that it also rules on the, uh, on the, uh, on the iPad. But again, whenever there's a new, fe- new feature for, uh, for iOS, when it comes to the cameras, Filmic has it, has it going on. I've been, I use their software going back, I think to the three GS or four back yeah. when you, I don't know if you remember when they first did their thing, but even then it, it blew the features on a normal iPhone camera away. So Filmic is, is wonderful. Uh, I just now loaded that onto my iPad, though I haven't had a chance to play with it that as much as I would have liked. Uh, using the the center stage for FaceTime, if you watch the reviews on YouTube, it really it really doesn't do it justice until you're doing it yourself. Having it so that the camera will move in and move out is like having really your own personal cameraman. It is it is wonderful. So this this past week, I was in the hospital. I was FaceTiming my mom. My wife was in the room, and she dipped in and out of frame and. You know, even though the the iPad was only probably a foot away from me at the time, it would zoom out, zoom in, uh, do everything that you would want it to do professionally. There yeah. was no um, there was no jarring effects. It was nothing. It, it was so buttery smooth that it was just unbelievable how well that it worked. And when I am able to go back to work and use Zoom again um, for a normal purpose, seeing that it's already supported in Zoom, you and I were playing with it before. Uh, before we recorded, it's already supported in Skype. Yeah, this is going to be this is truly a sort of a killer feature for the 2021 upgrade. It, it is really remarkable. And one thing I was pointing out before the call is the fact that so the camera placement is still on the side, but on older models, you'd have to adjust your tilt of your iPad to accommodate the camera so it would look the best, right? So if you wanted yes. to be full tilt on the Magic Keyboard, your camera would be facing the ceiling. This time around, you can do that. And you'll notice center stage just automatically adjusts so it can look the best that it's able to with given the placement of the camera. So you can tilt your iPad any which way you want, and it'll kind of adjust appropriately when you're in that laptop configuration. Yes, it doesn't look like it's shooting up your nose anymore. It's uh, it's uh, it's kind of neat how it accomplishes that. So I was telling my mom that I really wish I got her an iPad, just a regular new iPad last yeah. fall. Hers was years old and had no more updates or anything. And I kind of wish that I had gotten her something like this, simply because much like you know when you FaceTime older people, you get the top of their head or something <laughs> like that. Right. Or you know I, I'm sitting there having a conversation with, with the ceiling and her hair instead of uh, her face. So when that finally makes it down to the. Uh, the entry-level iPad, it'll be a great day for me. Oh, for sure. Yeah. And yeah, as you said, it's it's really cool just like going from the far left and just like seeing it find you and just like slowly pan over to you and it's like, there you are. And it's it's really graceful in the animations it does to, to capture all the people. And if you do it with multiple people, it's still graceful when it has multiple faces to choose from. So it'll zoom out, capture you if you're not moving, but if the other person is, it'll still keep you in frame and still find a way to keep them in frame. It really is remarkable what they've accomplished. Yeah. I wish there was a pet mode to enable animals. Yes, that would be nice. <laughs> <laughs> and I guess I also kind of wish there was a quick toggle, maybe a shortcut to turn it off system-wide. So, Because one thing I'm thinking of is... People might like to try to eat a snack or a drink off camera. Yeah, yes. If you have this enabled, that's not going to happen uh, very easily. Or 
or if you have little ones that are running around in the background too, it's going to constantly. Uh, oh yeah, yeah that that would be a that would be a problem. Not for me, but I, I would assume for for a lot of folks, you know, you're going to be having a, a Zoom call if you're working or something, and if your kid runs through in the background, then uh, might be a little <laughs> distracting to everyone else on the call. Yeah, currently it's an app by app setting. I'd love that there was a system wide just on off thing as well. Yeah, and it's also kind of curious if you open the camera app, you're not able to just gracefully zoom in and out of this camera. Like on the yeah. 12 mini I have on that back camera, I can go to, you know, 0.5 and it goes all the way up to whatever the maximum a zoom is. You, you can kind of go between the cameras gracefully. This one, you're either in ultra wide mode or you're in the virtualized old iPad camera where it kind of virtualizes what the old setup would be. Yeah. And I think that's probably just a trade-off on the on the basis of the fact that people, I know a lot of people use the iPad it's something that I it's it's weird to me when they you, you go out and about and you see people using the iPad as a as an iPhone type camera. So maybe that was the trade off that they just decided to uh, to sort of drop to discourage that behavior. It's the only thing I could think of. Yeah, it's a weird thing. Yeah, and I guess yeah, Halai did a write up on it, but they iPad OS sees it as two separate cameras, like hardware cameras, but it's all done via software to make that happen. Yeah, and then Halai also discovered that the focal distance in that rear camera is something special. We can do macro photography if you use an app that's not auto adjusting all the time, uh, which is kind of cool. Uh, the iPhone is not able to do this, but the iPad, I guess, is able to capture macros. Which is a weird, weird thing when you think about it. You'd always think that the best and the and the most uh, you know, advanced is going to be in the iPhone always, but it's a yeah. weird feature. But it could we just could see that in the iPhone 13 as well? Yeah, and I wonder. Yeah, is there something about hmm, yeah how the sensors are arranged where it makes not as much sense to do that in iPhone? I'm not sure if that's if there's any drawbacks to this design for other photography modes that aren't macros yeah you know i'm not really sure but i'm i'm glad that that apps like halide can do what they're able to do and that they dig in and find out right away what the hardware is capable of it saves folks like us a lot of time from having to go in and figure oh, yeah. stuff like that out so it's it's really nice yeah and it's great time that they actually have a, a camera app for ipad now they just released a, a version for ipad which is really cool so I, I noticed you got the cellular version too as part of your uh, as part of your build out. Yeah, seems like this time around, why not? You get that rebate. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's it's pretty much free. I say that you know having to pay now the uh, the cost. I mean, I was always a big cellular guy in the beginning anyway. Like yeah, I would always likewise. get those for the iPad just because you know you go on vacation, you go to the mall, you go somewhere, you want to sit and have a coffee, and you know your phone just maybe won't cut it. So why not have that cellular connectivity if you can swing it? And of course on all the iPads this year, every major carrier was giving you basically $200 back, which is now oddly the exact cost of what it costs to get a cellular version of the, uh, of the iPad. So yeah. And I discovered, uh, if you get a baseline 329 iPad and do the cell upgrade, which is 130 bucks, it's across the board. They'll give you 200 bucks for a $130 upgrade on those iPads as well, which is kind of cool. Yeah, so you make a little something back on that. Yeah. Um, so you went with T-Mobile, I think, and I went with Verizon. What's your uh, what's your experience been like with T-Mobile? Yeah, so T-Mobile is my phone carrier, and I guess you have to get it the one that goes with your phone carrier because all these are postpaid, and you can't just have a postpaid iPad account with any of them, which yeah. is kind of lame. I wish you could. But uh, so far, so good. It was super easy to sign up for the plan. It's a, I believe, $30 a month plan that they make you get. Uh, there might be some discounts with auto pay, but uh, you have to do this for like two months, I believe, at most, and they'll give you your $200 
uh, credit card, basically, that you can use anywhere. And you have to use that credit card within six months. I'm going to use that right away (laughs) (laughs) so they don't get their money from me. And after that, I'm going to switch probably to their prepaid plans, which gives you five gigabytes every five months for $10. And if you run out of data, you can just give them another 10 bucks. Which Ultimately, that seems like the plan that uh, the best because I'm not doing intensive uploads or downloads uh, of video streaming on the go. I just kind of want it for email access, Twitter, and web browsing when I'm out and about. Yeah, Verizon has something similar. So I have many different lines on Verizon. And I think for their top-of-the-line iPad whatever. I'm paying 15 bucks a month uh, right now for it. And it's ultra wide, you know, 5G, but I still can't seem to find in Atlanta. This is where I live. And, uh, you know, I, I've spent a lot of time downtown where I didn't really want to the last couple of months, but, you know, I get five bars of just normal 5G, which is great. You know, I'm getting, you know, the top LTE speed. So I, I get like, you know, a couple hundred down and sometimes, you know, 150 up. And that's that's fine enough when I'm when I'm out and about, but I've really wanted to find the areas that have the ultra wide. Yeah. So, so that I could get like the, you know, a gig down or two gigs down, something like that, really put it through its paces. But the uh, the process was seamless for me. They, uh, they made it seem like they were going to send you a SIM card, but they did not. And I was able to use the onboard eSIM and get going right away. And uh, it's been it's been pretty fast when I've needed it. So that's good to hear. Yeah, because with Verizon, if you're not a phone customer of theirs, it is such a pain in the butt to try to get service. Uh, you have to like yeah. have them send you a SIM card. There's no way to do it on device. It's and then yeah, it's 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 a headache. Yeah, if you cancel your prepaid service, you have to reactivate within like three months. Otherwise, that SIM card is useless. And yeah, it's far fetched from the old days of the original iPads, where it's just like, oh, I just activate, turn on, off at will. <laughs> They've they've had eSIMs in the phones and the iPads forever now, yeah. for like three or four years, and it's still a nightmare. I had to get my parents signed up on an eSIM on their phone uh, last fall. You know, I moved one of their one of their phone lines to be the secondary line on their iPhone, mm-hmm. just so they could keep the number. They'd had the number for like fifty years or something. Yeah, and it took two hours on the phone with Verizon with them in the store to figure out how to do it. So I was not, you know, expecting the eSIM thing for my iPad to go pretty smooth, but it did. I was up and running very fast and you know, the data is very good. I like Verizon a lot, but even though they boast, they have, Oh, the greatest, whatever deployment, it's very, very still hard to find the, um, the ultra wide. Yeah. You have to be in direct line of sight with that stuff. So, uh, I yeah. imagine somewhere in Atlanta, you'd find a street corner that has it. But uh, you said 150 up with the regular 5G. Is that right? Sometimes I, I've gotten as high as that before. That's, so, yeah. Yeah, it's... my home internet doesn't get like more than 10 up. So that's like, yeah, I'd, I'd love having that kind of speeds. Uh, T-Mobile, I was getting at most 8 up and 80 down with my 5G in New Hampshire. Um, if I was in a city, I'm sure it'd be much faster speeds, uh, but that's kind of what I got. And that was faster than my LTE speeds, and I was finding 5G occasionally uh, where I'm at. Yeah, and downtown Atlanta, I got to say, they the Verizon deployments are, are very, very good. Even in the hospital where it was a lot of concrete and glass and those types of things, I was getting you know crazy speeds. In fact, it was so much faster than the Wi-Fi that I think in one month I did 100 gigs on Verizon, and they were kind of like, okay, we're about to start throttling you back a little bit, yeah. even though you have unlimited. It's like, take it easy here with the... Uh, <laughs> but I was downloading two gig games at a pop. I was downloading this and that. And, um, you know, I was I was really hammering that thing, but uh, was never able to get the ultra wide speeds. The one thing that I'm excited for on the ultra wide, I'm assuming it's the ultra wide, is that Apple had a support document this week in which they talk about you're going to be able to download iOS updates over the air. Now, since there was an iOS update available for my iPad, I was sitting in the hospital. I had great 5G, except no ultra wide. 
I decided to test this, and it is not working in for, for okay. 14.5.1. So to go from 14.5.1 to 14.6, I was not able to do this. Okay. Yeah, maybe it needs ultra-wide, or maybe it comes with iOS 15 or something that they enable that. It would be nice to be able to do that. Yeah, they got a little ahead of themselves. Yeah, and I have had cellular on most of the iPads. So uh, I had the original iPad, the iPad 2, the iPad Air, and then Air 2, I mean, and then the iPad Pro. Uh, So that was kind of my iPads, I believe. That's everything I've had so far. Um, I've had cellular on all of them except for the Pro first and second generation. And then 2020 and 2021 Pro, uh, I have cellular again. And I really missed it on the two iPads I didn't have it with, uh, that first and second generation Pro. It's just such a difference. Like tethering is such a painful experience trying to get that right and connected. It's just a hassle. And it's always slower uh, than being natively on board. It's uh, it, it is always... Yes, it is always so much slower than anything else you're going to do. Yeah. I, I've always regretted not having it more than I've regretted having the 130 bucks. That right. was that was when you need it, you really need it. And if you travel for work, there's no MacBook that you can get that has cellular in it. Not yet. Not Hopefully that, you, not that, that happens you, one well, day. Because, yeah, there's a lot of people in my life that would be super excited to get one of those. You know, I hear that, but I always think back to that old Marco Arment story where he talked about uh, tethering his his phone to his Mac overnight when he was traveling, and a new episode of Mad Men came out or something, Yeah, iTunes automatically downloaded it, and he had hit his data cap for the month. I'm sure when this happens, the OS will uh, be smarter about this stuff, too. Well, there, there is a program out there called Trip Mode that you can get that's pretty good about you know tightening the bolts down and not letting things out. Yeah. But it'll be unless you explicitly. Just, but, I mean, uh, yeah, from Apple, they'll. I mean, I'd imagine. Yeah, but 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 still, it's easy to go over. You know, with uh, if you're if you're really not careful, if there's some application you forgot about, or oh sure, yeah, yeah. So that's that's the one thing. But at least you're protected on the iOS devices. So when it comes to traveling for work, if you can get away with using an iPad instead of a Mac, it'll uh, it'll save your bacon on more than one occasion. Yeah, and especially if work's paying for it, they can also uh, on the iPad. Yes. It's really cool that. Uh, there's two data plans that can be active simultaneously. So the eSIM and physical SIM, you could have Verizon and AT&T on the same device and say you're in a bad area for AT&T and switch to Verizon and vice versa. And you can just hot swap at any time. It's pretty cool. Which I definitely plan on doing. There have been places where I've went. There's, there's one place that I've gone <clears throat> and all my travels that's near the uh, U.S.-Mexico border where only AT&T worked. There was no Verizon. If I ever go back there again, which I hope to, I hope to, um, I plan on having an AT&T either uh, physical SIM or, yeah. or something in there to, you know, so I have both my bases covered of being able to get coverage because nothing's worse than when you pay for cellular and then can't use it. Right. The other thing about cell I just want to notice or make note of is that uh, to do the promotional deal, I had to use uh, the shortcuts app to submit my uh, proof of purchase. So uh, ah. they, they made you um, upload either an image or a PDF of your receipt. And that was fine. I was able to get the PDF by doing going to apple.com and getting the receipt from that and then doing a screenshot and doing the full page thing where it generates the full full screen of what the web browser shows you. So that was easy enough. And then use my iPad camera to grab a photo of the box showing the IMEI number. But the photo was way too large to upload into T-Mobile system. So these shortcuts to downsample the photo to uh, an appropriate uh, resolution. Because even if I tried to screenshot the photo thinking maybe that's smaller, that was still too big. So uh, just kind of fun uh, tr- trials and tribulations of trying to upload things to T-Mobile's system. 
where it didn't like larger files that were being generated. This is one of those where you have to jump through the hoops to make it a real computer type of situations I that I absolutely hate. So no, I've I, I feel you on that one. Verizon, I didn't have to go to quite that quite that level, but yeah. What was the promotional setup for them? What how'd you have to prove you get this one fifty? Is it one fifty through Verizon? Uh, I think it's like two hundred, but it's like a Verizon gift card, so you only use it towards your towards your bill. So oh, that's right. AT and T was the one fifty, and they do that through like you basically get a five dollar bill instead of a ten dollar bill for two years, which that's a good deal if you're planning on doing that plan you know it's the imei and something else that you had to submit to a form okay. um, it wasn't it wasn't that huge of a huge of a deal but in, then again i'm keying shortcut over here so i have tons of those for like jpegs and pdfs and stitching things together and not my first rodeo when it comes to having to do a rebate so uh, yeah my my wife in particular will do stuff with uh with a certain application that requires pdfs to be done in that way where you stitch together like Imagine a CVS receipt, something that long, where it's this big of a picture. You have to take pictures in sections, and yeah, I, I've had to come up with some pretty clever shortcuts to be able to shrink things down. So something like that, even if presented with that, wouldn't have been a big deal for me. So okay, but yeah, the two hundred dollars that you can only spend at Verizon was also sort of annoying. Yeah, but it's kind of like, well, I have a bill every month anyway. So yeah, I saw they were selling like Apple TV remotes and things. They're, they're branching out, so you could probably find some some tech gear that would be they they fun. are a good they are a good place to to find stuff that you wouldn't expect like they had airpods max in stock when nobody else did right they yeah Air, you know what i mean so yep. occasionally people sleep on verizon but you can find some good deals yeah um your data plan you got for verizon that's the one you'll be getting after you get your promotional or will you be stepping down a tier or... no I'm, I'm going ahead and, and keeping it so okay. um I I have to travel a lot. Uh, used to I did that for work. Right now I'm sort of on a on a break from work, but I have dialysis three times a week, so I make use of that data plan and that unlimited data pretty well. Yeah, it's nice and, in the uh, settings app. Oh, yours is unlimited. So in the settings app, mine says you know six hours left of eight gigabytes. Because uh, I guess I was very worried that it was like a seven day plan that I signed up for accidentally. But I guess yeah. it's linked to my monthly billing cycle, so I'll probably get a prorated first month is my guess. But it's nice to give you a little countdown. You have six hours to use your, your eight gigs, otherwise you lose it or whatever. And you can see how many how much data each app is used individually inside yeah. the cellular plan. So you can keep up with a pretty good idea of what you're using. I mean, to be honest, you know, I'll use music or I'll use a little bit of streaming here and there. But, you know, even I don't push it to the limit as to what I could do. I could probably do 10 gigs a month on my iPad and it would be more than enough. Mm -hmm. But because it's all rolled into like, you know, all these different lines that I already have, you know, it just makes sense to go ahead and get the unlimited. Yeah. Yeah. And T-Mobile's was you need to do the 10 gigs or it's higher. And uh, then you could eventually change plans to the unlimited plan linked to your phone or something like that. And uh, yeah, it's very cool. Just in the settings app, how it shows you versus needing to go to T-Mobile's website or, you know, with Comcast logging into their website to try to check how much data you're using. And that's just, yeah, it's nice being all on board like that. Yeah. And the M1 chip, uh, I've noticed it especially with ferrite is the biggest thing where I'm doing my export to level the audio in mono and that export is just like done in a second. Like it, it's like before I'd like, oh, let me get some water and come back. And now it's just like, it's done right away. It's, it's crazy fast. It is. It is amazingly fast. And I want to say that I saw that uh, Wooji juice, the vendor on Twitter said they hadn't done any optimizations for it yet or anything. I, I think it was just, they were going off of uh yeah, the multi-core aspects of how they, 
do their processing is why it's ah, so fast. Yeah, I mean, they didn't have to do anything specifically for the M1. It just right. when, once the M1 was in place, boom, it was there and it was done. Yeah. And it's uh, pretty amazing. So that right up there with LumaFusion are, are both uh, critical applications inside of my workflows. Yeah, and then the RAM, I am noticing Safari, like all the tabs just stay there. It's That's like a, a nice change. In the apps themselves, you can go back many days and, oh, that app's still kicking. I am the world's worst about having 2,000 apps, I mean, 2,000 tabs open on my, my browser, especially on my phone. Yeah. I need to go through and spend a weekend just closing tabs, reading things, and it's like, oh, I'll come back and read this later. But uh, iPhone handle, iPhone 12 Pro handles it pretty well, but the but the iPad Pro, it is lightning fast. There's no, uh, no matter how many tabs you open, I haven't been able to do it yet, where, you know, it swaps out and you'll see it reload the page or whatever. It hasn't done that yet. Yeah. And yeah, the, it's a super impressive chip for the apps that are already taking advantage of it like ferrite and luma fusion and all the ram that can do in the background uh and yeah i guess wdc will tell us what's next for the os to handle more of this cool stuff it's definitely an upgrade if you're coming from a from a different type of ipad if you're coming from like the regular ipad or the ipad air this is it's it's a huge jump up and it's hard to describe you know until you go to use it you do the little four finger gesture to bring up all your tabs or open apps and it's it's so amazingly lightning fast that it's not like using your iPad before i it's it's i don't know i feel like i'm overselling it but i don't uh yeah <laughs> i don't want to oversell it but it just it is that fast yeah and i'm not sure if there's much more to say it's just they're always faster and faster and uh, i thought like oh ferret's pretty fast i don't have any lag or anything and the exports seem pretty snappy but yeah, it was noticeably a better experience exporting and wasting less of my time doing that. Have you noticed any use cases that you have where the iPad just doesn't cut it that you still have to rely on the Mac? And if so, how are you doing that? So I have a 2011 MacBook Air. So it's now a decade old MacBook Air. It's 11 inches. I love that little guy. Um, dust is kind of embedding itself into parts of the Luna, which is kind of sad. Uh <laughs> But the only thing I remote into that with the Screens app for is uploading new songs into iTunes Match, which I still can't do on my iPad. That's the only thing I still use that Mac for is uh, iTunes oh, Match. Oh, yeah. Management. Interesting. So, um, hmm. Well, in my particular use case, I still rip a lot of stuff in Handbrake. Okay. Yeah, I used to be a big fan of that. I had a huge library of that, and then I just gave up and like go and just buy stuff in iTunes when I want a movie and uh, kind of be sad when movies aren't available that uh and also sad when all the it the extras aren't quite the same in itunes as they would be on blu-ray or dvd because i do miss those quite a bit so so what i do there most of the stuff that i collect is stuff that's out of print so i'm a big out of print sort of tv and movie nerd i'll go and buy stuff you know that uh, i watched when i was like 10 or something yeah. i'll watch you know some sitcom that was on for like two weeks that gets a special edition on blu-ray but you'll never see it on itunes or amazon yeah or i have like on disc, on DVD, like Bad Batch, uh, um, or Bad Taste, and uh, all pure, Meet the Feebles, all Peter Jackson's like old movies that haven't made it yes. really digital yet. So I like doing stuff like that. So I still have a use for being able to rip things, and I'll use the uh, Mac Mini uh, to do that a lot. And I'll remote into that. And, and of course, the ripping on an M1 is, is really, really good. And I have like this big storage array of like 16 terabytes worth of data that, you know, that I can just, you know, stick into, you know, 16 terabytes. Um, yeah. Of that that I can use for those types of things. So a lot of Blu-rays, a lot of 4K stuff. Yeah. You know, just runs a gamut. But usually if it's available somewhere else, I won't have it. I'll just stick with, you know, if it's not available on iTunes and 4K, but I can get the special edition 4K, I'll, you know, I'll rip on a Mac. Mm -hmm. So coming into to screens and doing something like that is, is usually pretty cool i built a pi vpn what is this exactly 
Okay, so you have a Raspberry Pi, yep. and then you have a uh, a sort of a, a very secure VPN that's very easy to set up that uses uh, the WireGuard protocol. It's very simple. Like, anybody can do this in, like, 10 seconds. I used to build VPNs using, you know, uh, they were all artisanal, handcrafted, and it was terrible. They were hard to maintain. They would die a lot. This thing has been so rock solid, knock wood, you know, don't have to reboot. I'm very fortunate to live in an area where I have uh, gigabit up and gigabit down and no cap. Okay, so that's very helpful. It's the it's the only time you'll ever hear me praise AT and T, but my God, they compete with Comcast so well in my yeah. area that Comcast can't even compete with that. So uh, I'm able to have a Ethernet connected VPN. So if I'm let's say I'm out and about and I want to route all my traffic through my home internet connection, I can do it, and it's super simple to do that on the iPhone. Or I can just selectively come back and do whatever I want on my internal network. So when I'm out and about and I want to connect, there's lots of advantages that you can do um, over this over this VPN connection. So you're talking to a guy who spent a lot of time in the hospital, and one of the things that I did was set up Steam Link so that I was doing it over my VPN uh, back to my iPhone back during the uh, back during the fall. Uh, I can do the PS4 Remote Play. Now it's a little slow. You know, there's going to be some latency because yeah. it's not as fast, but it'll work over that VPN, especially the huh. fact that I'm Ethernet, I'm, you know, gigabit connected. So the VPN makes it feel like to your PS4 you're on the local network because... It fools it. Yes, it, so it fools that, it. Okay, it feels like that? Okay. Yeah. Because um, there's VNC, which lets you remote in regardless of your network state. You could just be on a regular cell connection and remote in through VNC. Uh, a lot of the systems use like their own like screens connect type thing. But a, a VPN lets you not worry about screens connect and all the you know systems. Yeah. So think about it when you're in your house and you're playing, you know, your PlayStation's in the other room and you're playing on like your iMac or something. Mm-hmm. You can uh you know it's it's like you're there. Same thing. You, you know, you get an IP that's assigned locally on your local network. The PS4 doesn't know the difference to say, ah, 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 you're not on your local network. No, it goes, oh, you're on your local network. Okay. And then it works. Yeah. Of course, with the Xbox, you don't need that. You can do the Xbox One and or, or Xbox S or one of those. And, uh, you know, you can uh, do that over the internet. The and they also have regular- the cloud... Uh- service that's coming out too but yeah the vpn is is super helpful so uh, if i ever find myself in a situation either personally or for work where i need access to something where you know i need access to my m1 or my imac or my macbook pro i can just simply remote in and once i have a local ip through the vpn i can just use you know uh, screens or vnc or something like that and I'm, i'm locally connected and you just have that as a configuration in the settings app that you turn on and off at will? Uh, yeah, well, I have a VPN configuration on the uh, on the iPhone that I enable. So you can you can do it with WireGuard. You can have it so that if I'm on any Wi-Fi connection that's not my home Wi-Fi, automatically instantiate a VPN connection and leave it connect. Or you can say anytime I'm on cellular and not on my Wi-Fi at home, instantiate a connection where I'm you know constantly connected. And unlike a lot of VPNs, this will auto reconnect. So if you do get disconnected, you're not constantly having to go, oh God, it died. You know, get my wife to go down there and explain what a Raspberry Pi is, first of all, and then have her <laughs> go over there. No, it's a little box over here that you press the button on and, and reset. It. You don't have to do any of that. So it's 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 been very reliable and rock solid. Yeah. Most of the time I'm connected to the firewall thing by one blocker is what I'm using my VPN VPN connection for these days. Um, oh, okay. Which is kind of a cool little service that came out. Uh, I guess not a service. It sort of is, but yeah. <laughs> um, it's an app that you can pay for and uh, blocks all the tracking stuff that apps can do to identify you. Yeah, I used to I used to use that back in the day as well as an added layer of protection. Because that's the other thing. If you have a, a Pi VPN, you can also run a Pi hole at home to as an ad blocker. Hmm. And if and if everything goes if you have everything routed to go through your Pi VPN, you also get the benefits of the 
the uh, Pi Hole ad blocker at the same time. Right. Yeah. So I found that for a lot of streaming video sites that have ads, that is a good little device to have because it'll let you just keep going and watching videos without ads being served up. Huh. So <laughs> we ve- we veered off yeah. of the uh, the iPad there for, but it's a very useful utility. So remoting into your Mac, what's the app you tend to use to do that screens is the one that i use the most yeah i i bought that a long time ago i've I've been one of these people i've tried just about every single thing known to man to remote back to my pc i used to use uh Go to my PC. I used to use LogMeIn, Hamachi back when that was still free. Uh, what was the other one? Parallels I've used before. Yeah. Um, most most of these companies, when they get into a certain level, they don't want to provide that for individuals anymore. So they price you out of the market. It's like, if you want to keep this service, it's going to cost you an insane amount of dollars. Right. And you know that's their way of getting you off the service without saying, well, we still offer it. So uh, they were all unreliable to some degree, or they all priced themselves out of the market where I didn't want to use them anymore. I'm looking at you, LogMeIn, Machi, that was that was a great one, and then it just you know they they charge something exorbitant for it. So since Screens is just using VNC with mm-hmm. uh, you know SSH as a sort of a wrapper around it, it's it's been rock solid reliable, yeah. and I've loved giving the developers that money. But I haven't had to do anything special like you know I think there's an app you can get if you aren't that familiar with VNC that sort of makes it even crazy simpler. But for me, yeah, it's that's just the going Screens in a- Connect thing you can throw on your Mac to help it log you in. Yeah, but if you just go to uh, if you go to your settings and you turn on screen sharing. If you turn on screen sharing inside of your Mac, then, you know, I've I've never had an issue with it because of the VPN whatsoever. probably, I'm guessing. Yes, because yeah. the VPN makes it dead simple. You're not having to traverse anything else over the internet. You're getting an IP on your local network and it just it works great. And has living with the magic keyboard been a giant improvement having this trackpad with this remoting in ability? Oh my god, having a having a uh, a cursor, having a trackpad, having, you know, a mouse pointer to so to speak, on the screen has been revolutionary for me. It's, I'm still getting used to it. It uh, it makes it like using more of a Mac. So, you know, when, you know, I sort of have a disagreement in philosophy with some of my podcast co-hosts when we talk about these sorts of things where they're like, oh, a Mac is so much better for just being able to, you know, go and connect and do something like that. And I'm thinking, well, wait a minute, you guys have magic keyboards. You have the cursor. You can, I mean, the, the pointer, you can go and do these things now like you're on a Mac. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, when I got my M1 and I started loading up iOS apps onto the M1, I got sort of a taste because I used the, the Magic Trackpad on the uh, on the Macs for that, and it was like, wow, this is this must be what it's like of using an iPad app uh, with a Magic Keyboard on the on the the new iPad. So I don't know what they're talking about because I absolutely. <laughs> I've loved it so far. It has made it a more Mac-like experience without really sort of compromising the iPad experience. Yeah. So I'm I'm loving that. And even on screens, if you connect to an external monitor, it will optimize for that display. So if you just like throw it on the external monitor, you can put your iPad in clamshell mode and. As long as you're unlocked, you can just use it as a little uh, computer that way. And and see, that's something that I actually have to try. That's something I've been delinquent on and have not hooked it to a second monitor, which I need to do. And I want to see how well that's supported for me. But that is also very exciting for me is being able to, again, that's also the quote unquote, here's a real computer type of setup is sometimes you're going to have a second screen. So being able to use uh, sidecar, being able to use uh, duo, uh, you know, yeah. Any of those things to be able to to be able to take advantage of this, I'm really excited about. But actually having I know it sounds silly, but having the uh having the the magic trackpad, so to speak, for the iPad is I feel like I've jumped from twenty fifteen to, to twenty twenty one finally. Yeah. So with the twenty seventeen iPad, did you ever use the magic uh, trackpad too as a standalone trackpad or were you always just with the keyboard and that's it for that device? I knew that I could, but I just never did. Okay. And, you know, I felt like, oh, I'll get a new iPad any day now and it'll have it. Oh, I'll get a new iPad any day now and it'll have it. And that's what kept me from doing it. But 
you know, getting used to the magic keyboard has been sort of a sort of a um, learning thing where you have to go back and remap keys because there's no escape key or, yeah. uh, you know, being able to remember to use the same shortcuts here and there. Now, something that's going to sound really weird is that I did take a regular Mac magic keyboard complete with the numeric keypad and hook that into the iPad just to see what that was like because mm-hmm. I would have an escape button. And that was a little bit uh, that was a little bit different than what I expected. So, you know, on a Mac, if you have a magic keyboard and you plug it in via the lightning to USB cable, if you unplug it, it stays bonded via Bluetooth to the Mac. Okay. Yeah. So it's a it's a neat little experience. That experience does not exist on the iPad. So if you take like your Space Gray Magic Keyboard and you plug it into your and I'm talking the one for the Mac into the uh, into the iPad Pro, then when you unplug it, it no longer sees it. It's not a Bluetooth device. It's not something that can communicate with it wirelessly. If it is, it does not work as, as seamlessly as it does on the Mac. I mean, I didn't I, spend a lot of time yeah. looking at it, but... I guess the pro of that is you could be plugged in wired to the iPad, then unplug it and it's your Mac keyboard. And the same thing for the trackpad, you could be wired in yeah. and unplug it, and then you're on your Mac. That is, a, that is a good point. I guess since the primary use case is a Mac, then that, that isn't necessarily a negative. But uh, I just wanted to see if that would work, and it did, just yeah. because I wanted the easy escape key before I went in there and remapped it. But uh, having, the, having the gestures, having the things like Command Tab, where it works just like on a map, Mac is really nice. Uh, you know, I'm still getting used to all the little shortcuts that exist on Mac OS and trying to see if they exist on the uh, the iPad. But fortunately, there's been a lot of good YouTube videos for that. So I'm not really missing anything so far. But... It is kind of it is sort of a weird thing to move from the Mac keyboard if you use that a lot to, to moving to something like the Magic Keyboard for the iPad where it's mostly the same but not quite. Yeah, something I forgot about the Smart Keyboard. I used the 10 half inch iPad Pro for a couple of weeks uh, while I waited for the new one to come out because I sold the 2020 and right. I forgot on the couch how prone that iPad was the tipping over face down because of uh, the angle being wrong and how the magic keyboard is just so sturdy. And I forgot that, that difference there. Are there setups and situations you're finding yourself able to use your iPad in now because this new sturdy sturdiness uh, in the magic keyboard? Yeah. You know, when I was using it on my lap, uh, strangely enough in dialysis the other day, uh, I sat there and used this and it seemed better to me than a MacBook would be in terms of ease of use of staying up on the lap. Do you know what I mean? I don't yeah. know. Maybe it's just me, but it is definitely having used the previous one. It felt a little more top heavy last year. Yeah. In, in the brief time that I used it than it does now. But then again, I was using it more of an awkward angle there than I was here. But in the in the lap, I found it to be very comfortable and very. Um, it did not fall over, I guess. I guess because the the angles are so rigid that you can adjust it to. So whatever angle you're trying to do it to, once you move it to that angle, if you move it so that it's a little more, um, the top is closer to you than the bottom, I suppose. Mm-hmm. It doesn't it doesn't fall over at all, and that was a great viewing angle for me. So I'm I'm finding it to be pretty good. Now, when I put it on a couch or a bed or something like that to watch something, I fully expect it's probably going to fall over. Yeah. It is kind of crazy how you can hold it, like put on your knees and kind of have it basically almost face down and it still will stay on there and the hinge will stay sturdy. So this that hinge is pretty solid, but uh, the top heaviness can uh, take over at times. Yeah, especially if your hands aren't counterbalancing the weight on the keyboard, I suppose. Yep. Exactly. Uh, did the Apple Pencil 2 arrive in your home? Is that something you're interested in at all? Oh, yeah. Yeah. All okay. of this arrived well before the iPad did, which was uh, <laughs> so frustrating. I even got it. Uh, I even got my name engraved on the, uh, the pencil. Yeah, I got an engraving on my pencil as well. That's the only thing I got engraved uh, with the iPad setup. Yeah, I've never been a big engraving fan, but something like the pencil, I figure, eh, why not? So how are you finding uh, the, the new pencil? I, I think the, the charging is much better. <laughs> 
Well, that, you know, I was a big fan of the, the first gen pencil, but I just didn't use it as much because it was always dead. Yeah. So I tried to uh, compensate for this. I bought a, <laughs> you can buy anything on Amazon. I had this little weird um, dongle that you could set the pencil in so that it was sort of a, a female lightning connector, so to speak. And you could plug the pencil into it. And then whenever you went to use the pencil, just yank it out of that and, you know, go to town. But the problem is you'd have to have that in your primary area as to right. where you use the pencil. And if I had it for the regular iPad and sticking it into the, the lightning port, that thing still took forever to charge. So you're sort of sitting there awkwardly with your iPad and uh, you'd want to use it and it would be completely dead. So you're having to sit there at this awkward angle. What if I'm wanting to read something in portrait mode? Well, I can't really because I'm stabbing myself in the lap with the uh, the pencil. You, you hold it by the pencil. It's like a little uh, sign. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> sort of like a corn dog or yeah, a... Yeah. Or a... Uh, what do you call it? A popsicle or something like that. Yeah. It was just the, they really didn't think that through very well. So I was very envious when the, the second gen came out and you could charge it on the side, which seemed like a much better uh, setup. So I did play with it last fall just to see, and it's great. You know, I love being able to draw. I love, it's something that I've done for a long time, but, uh, I planned on doing it more with Procreate and those types of things when I had the uh, the original first-gen uh, pencil, but I just didn't do it because of that that annoyance. But now I always have it with me, so I'm starting to delve into... And there's so many things that you can use the pencil with, so like Photoshop, uh, you know, Procreate. Um, what's another one? Affinity Photo. There's so many things that when the pencil first launched just didn't exist Yeah. that uh, that does now. So I'm I'm loving being able to do that, and of course... You know, being able to take a screenshot with the pencil just by dragging up from the lower left or lower right is uh, is really a neat thing, too, because then you can draw on it. So because that's one of the things that I, when I take a screenshot a lot of times on the phone, I'm having to use the little virtual pencil and I want to draw an arrow here and point this out to this person or that person. So having the pencil always in reach and always charged is I, I see myself using this so much more than I did in the past. So I'm, I'm very excited about that. Yeah. And I'd encourage you to check out a uh, ferrite as an editing option. I, I'll jump back and forth between keyboard trackpad and the pencil depending on what i'm feeling that day and both are really fun enjoyable experiences yeah i'm, I'm dying to actually use the pencil on ferrite i know one of my podcast co-hosts when he edits does the uh the same thing so i plan on i plan on doing that and jumping between that and the uh sort of the uh the magic trackpad as well but it's it's opened up a whole new world and it's like using a brand new computer right it's not like yeah. just i went and got a new ipad and oh the 2017 was cool but that, i guess this one is cool no for me this is an entirely new paradigm yeah because the accessories really make the ipad the yeah. ipad and it's a whole new set of different things to use with it and just stuff that 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 extends the functionality beyond what I was used to for the 2017. But uh, I still have the first generation pencil. I may end up giving that to my mom because it does work on the first generation, uh, not the first generation, uh, the latest generation iPad. It works on all the iPads now, the mini and yes, yeah, yeah. So that might be something worthwhile for her, or give it to my wife and let her use it on her iPad Mini or something. But uh, I figure my mother will probably get more use out of it than my yeah. than my wife would. But yeah, it's uh, I'm really loving the uh, the second gen pencil. I feel like I really I really made a quantum upgrade in terms of because I've been sitting there looking at this tech for so long, going, I want this, I'm going to get this, I'm going to use this. Oh, any day now, any day now. Yeah. And they took forever to get that 2021 iPad out that had the M1. So yeah. No, I know the feeling when I jumped from 2017 to 2020 is a similar feeling and can only imagine even a year after this with all this new stuff in here as well. Did the length of the pencil, um, did you notice that at all? When I first got it, it took me a while to adjust to it being shorter for me at least. No, I tend to hold the pencil in the same place anyway. 
so I've I didn't really have to adjust my grip all that much. I do like the fact that it has the the flattened edges, whereas the other was perfectly cylindrical. Yeah, uh, it feels like it's easier to grip in the in the pencil too than is the the first generation pencil. Uh, I haven't had any problems with a tip or anything. Where sometimes I guess you know people will complain that it's it slips around or you know it scratches or whatever. I haven't had that experience. I never had that experience with a first gen pencil either though. So I was able to draw some some neat things with a first gen, and so far it's it's been minimal disruption to to move to the second gen yeah now something new with um the 2018 and new ipad pros is being able to charge devices at the ucc and uh have you done this yet like uh, one thing i could think of for you is if you have in your airpods max case if you have a third-party case of some sort you could throw the USB-C to lightning cable in there and you could just charge your headphones when you need to through your ipad now instead of grabbing a brick I haven't yet, but I will. I'm I'm in love with my Anchor Power Brick that I take everywhere. So I've sort of been spoiled in my particular use case. I think I have one of those uh, 10,000 milliamp hour uh, Anchor batteries that has yeah. USB-C on it. Okay. And um, when I was in the hospital, I could charge my phone from dead every night, you know, without even having to charge the battery. And you slap one of the things for the Apple Watch on there, and it's uh, it's super useful. I should try that on the iPad. You know, I had right. used the pass-through on the Magic Keyboard to be able to charge the iPad, but I haven't gone in the other direction. But if I did, the two things that I would probably use it for the most would be charging the AirPods Pro mm-hmm. and charging my Apple Watch. So both of those are, are low power. Yeah, I've got a little like one inch USB-C to Apple Watch charger, and it's fun to use the uh, the iPad for that at times. It would be a mind bender because you wouldn't expect to be able to do it. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like uh, having enough juice to be able to send something in the other direction. Yeah, and it's cool being able to just plug, you'd be charging your iPad through that smart connector uh, magic keyboard, and then at the same time be charging something else. It's like... <laughs> So oh yeah, off the cool. side of the uh, off the yeah. side of the iPad. Yes. Yeah, and uh, I guess that power output is a little bit higher as well than the M1 version. So accessories that need more power, there's some like portable um, monitors even that can be charged and run entirely off of a USB-C cord um, from that iPad now. I do wonder what that would do to your battery life, especially depending on things like cellular being enabled and yeah. screen brightness and things like that. I would be a little afraid if it was something I was definitely relying on. <laughs> right. It'd probably be a bit uh, higher draw, but if you need like a two hour, like uh, intense run, you could probably do that, you know. Oh, yeah. And I, I like I said, I see myself charging the iPads Pro, iPads Pro, AirPods Pro. Or my Apple Watch via that method. Now, I do find, need to find a USB-C to uh, Apple Watch charger. I know that they make them now, but mine yep. are so old that they're all USB-A, so that would be a problem. But Yeah, Apple sells a really tiny one, which is super handy to have because it's just it's nice to have really short cables, and they make one for Apple Watch, which is uh, very handy to have. You know, stra- strangely enough, I went to buy, I was giving my mom my old Series 4, and uh I was out to buy an Apple Watch charger this weekend, and when I went to the Apple Store's uh, site, I noticed that they were all USB-C to the Apple Watch. I'm like, oh, that's weird, but all of her stuff is still USB-A, so I had to go to Amazon, I guess, and buy one of the older ones, but that was kind of weird. Yeah, I do like that they're all USB-C, so at least I can just... But yeah, if you don't have those chargers handy, that's kind of a pain. They're really going to have to make that switch and switch everything over to USB-C at this point because now now it hurts me personally now that I have USB-C and but then again I've had a MacBook Pro that's relatively recent so I've I've had the USB USB-C pain for a while anyway but Yeah. Yeah, and the lightning thing like yeah, you have USB-C to lightning cords around as well still. <laughs> yeah. And then do you use your iPad in tablet mode? Do you pop it off the magic keyboard and do stuff with it uh Oh, all the time. Yeah. Yes. What kind of stuff are you doing with it in that context? 
Reading books is, is very good with that. So using the Kindle app or iBooks, I like doing that more in portrait mode than doing that in sort of landscape. Uh, I'm a big comic book fan, so I do Marvel Unlimited. And Marvel Unlimited will work in either orientation, but it looks much better in a portrait mode. Okay. Because it does, it'll zoom in on certain panels and zoom out automatically. And, and uh, it just looks so much better in portrait mode. Uh, sometimes I just like to browse the web and make it sort of not a laptop like experience like this is this is something that also sort of uh i I get after my podcast co-hosts about because a lot of them seem to be more uh mac browsers than than iphone browsers or ipad browsers Mm -hmm. and what i mean by that is if you're wanting to browse the web from the couch while you mindlessly watch tv you know i'm not going to grab a mac and do that that's just incredibly silly to me that that's like why would i do that and these are all folks that have ipad pros and uh (laughs) And yet they'll go out and, you know, I grabbed my, my MacBook and I was just sitting there on the couch watching and, and I'm thinking, why would you do that? Like you could just grab the iPad. The battery life's going to last so much longer. You don't have to deal with a keyboard if you don't want to. You know, what's the, I'm always trying to figure out people's use cases right, like, yeah. and how they, how they differ from mine. And I realize that for some people, you know, what's for me is not going to be for them. You know, I, I get that. Yeah, some people still have uh, natural scrolling turned off on their Macs. See, I, I I have to have the same thing between devices. Yeah. Right? I want that natural scrolling from the iPad on the Mac. Like, how do you go between the two and not have it... I don't get it. Yeah. It's... You know, I, the older I get, the more I want a consistent experience between all of these devices. I don't want to have to think about it when I pick it up and go, oh, wait a minute, this is not a Mac, this is an iPhone, this is, oh, this is an iPad. I want it to be the all the same experience. And I certainly can't understand anyone else who doesn't do that. So if you're going to be browsing the web, what are you doing that you can't, that you need the keyboard with and instead of having just a standalone device? Now, even if I'm using that in, in, a, in, a, in a portrait or landscape orientation, you know, I, I guess you could make the case there that if you were going to be, if I'm typing something up, I'm not doing it on the screen. I'm going to sit there if I'm and I'm going to do it on the Magic Keyboard. Yeah, it's funny. I'll I'll have the Magic Keyboard handy and throw it on for like 30 seconds and take it off again sometimes. Yeah, you know, and that's that's kind of the use case that I have as well. If I if I have a tweet that's going to be really, really long or, uh, you know, uh, you know, somebody sends me an email and I can't just quickly reply. That's like, oh, God, this is going to take a, this is going to take a second. Then I may go and get the uh, the actual keyboard. But in most cases, you know, I chalk it up, I guess, to age more than anything else, because a lot of me and my co-hosts, we're 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 old people. So, uh, you know, if you grew up doing this, that was the the paradigm you're the most used to, then, you know, you're going to, you're going to probably natively reach for something with the keyboard. Uh, I'm lucky in that I don't seem to stick to one paradigm or another. I can kind of move between them depending on the, what situation is best. And that's what I'm always kind of thinking of is, you know, my wife was saying, why do you even need an iPad? I see you on your phone all the time. (laughs) And it's like, yeah, because I don't have an iPad. And when I have an iPad, I won't be trying to read books on my phone where my 45 year old eyes are having a hard time reading what I'm seeing. So, uh, you know, it's, it's whatever works for you in the moment, but I just, I don't understand those folks that will still reach for the MacBook when you have the perfectly, perfectly good iPad for the simple purposes it's usually lighter, not always. I guess the iPad Pro is, is quite a quite a hoss. But for me, there's just nothing better than being able to switch between those two orientations. And, you know, it needs to be a keyboard and, and mouse when it needs to be a keyboard and mouse. And it can just be a simple book reading machine. Or, you know, I'm reading my RSS feeds or Facebook where I'm not really going to respond to anything. It's just something I'm scrolling through. It's it's perfect that way. And you mentioned Marvel Limited. What's uh, what's the comic book experience these days? Like, does it uh, do fancy animations between uh, you know the the squ- 
I don't know, what do you call them, the, the squares of each? Uh... Well, so uh, <laughs> Comixology is what I used to use way back in the day. This is this is pre-Amazon acquisition, about 10 years ago. And, um, you know, reading comics, I, being a big comic book fan, obviously the iPad was made for, for such a thing. And in the beginning, when, the, when these apps came out, you had uh, the Marvel app, the DC app, the Comixology app that had the best of both worlds, right? It sold both. Then when Amazon bought Comixology, you couldn't really buy uh, comics through Comixology anymore. Now, it used to when you could before Amazon owned, owned them. Oh, my God. I spent so much money just at night. I'd get, I'd start reading something. I got to know how this ends, you know. And I, next thing you know, I just bought 10 comic books in a row and spent, you know, between $5 and, you know, $30. And I didn't even mean to. <laughs> you know, it's like yeah. this issue is 99 cents and this issue is 99 cents. But if you read the entire run, oh, the most recent issues are five ninety nine a piece or three ninety nine a piece or whatever. So the next thing you know, you'd spend money. So I was looking for a way to not do that and um, Marvel had an all-you-can-eat sort of a thing called it's basically Netflix for Marvel Comics they run about six months behind but you pay I think I think I pay 70 bucks a year mm-hmm. and you get you get 13,000 comics that are constantly being updated so let's say that I, I you know I didn't see this latest run of Taskmaster or something that just came out well you know within a month or two it'll start rolling in and you'll you'll be behind but you know you can sit there and catch it at your leisure and the way that Marvel's technology is the same as Comixology's, where they have this, um, I forget what they call it. It's a its a patented technology that they call it. But what will happen is, is that you'll see, like, it zooms out, so you get to see the entire frame if there's a lot of stuff going on. And then if you do, like, I'm going to go to the next page, it'll zoom into a certain panel, and then zoom out, and then zoom into a certain panel. And it gives you the experience of watching a narrative where the camera is sort of going where it wants you to go. Yeah. And it's a great experience. So... But yeah, 13,000 comics, the animations are smooth. Because if you try to do this on an iPhone or something like that, it's a terrible experience. You right. need you need a tablet or you need a computer or something where it has the room to sort of zoom in and zoom out and move around. Maybe on a on a iPhone, you know, Pro Max, it's not as bad, but, you know, on, on the iPhone. But even the aspect ratio seems better on iPad 4x3 versus the Yeah, longer. yeah, and when you're and when you're doing the portrait mode as opposed to landscape, like landscape it'll work, but it's it's sort of janky at times. Whereas if you're in portrait, it's it's always it was designed for that so it's it's buttery smooth perfect and uh it's just the the easiest reading experience ever and of course on that 12.9 screen they look absolutely beautiful now for the longest time they weren't doing things in high resolution yeah but but i think they've gotten a little bit better about that because it does look a lot better than it did previously it's not hdr yet is it i don't think so because photos can be hdr so i'm wondering if eventually they will enable that you know, if I had to guess, knowing that it might be Disney that, that does this, is that uh, I could see myself having to pay extra at some point to get, uh, you know, some feature that they enable. But man, the uh, the comic book experience on those are so, so good. And occasionally I'll still get antsy and go into the Marvel app, which still honors the uh, the back-end purchases. So, you know, when Amazon, you know, Comixology used to provide the back-end for all this stuff. I don't know if it still does all these years later, but once Comixology got bought by Amazon, you couldn't buy it through Comixology, but you could buy it through the Marvel and DC apps if you wanted to. And when you did, they would then show up inside of Comixology. So it was kind of one of those workarounds where you could go and, you know, Marvel doesn't care about losing the cut so long as they keep the iOS purchases, you know, rolling in, and then they would show up all in one consolidated app. I haven't used Comixology in so long. Mostly, I'm, I'm, I'm more of a Marvel guy anyway so most of my purchases are in either amazon or or marvel anyhow gotcha so in your day job you're a senior sales engineer what role does the ipad serve when you're on the road and at the office working in day to day do you do you is this an accessory to your regular computer or what kind of role does this fill 
So work provides me with a MacBook Pro, and I, and I do tend to use that a lot just because they do provide it. Now, when I'm traveling, uh, I, can, I can definitely lean on the iPad Pro. Now, in my job, I'm a sales engineer. And what that means is what I'm doing is a lot of times I work with salespeople to demonstrate concepts. Uh, we sell hybrid clouds to, um, to customers. So if you want to build an on-premise cloud, if you want to build something in AWS and Azure, you want to have a mix of the two, we can demonstrate that for you. So for my job, really all I need are things like Zoom, a browser, uh, Slack, and occasionally something like Prompt by Panic where you can SSH around. And that is perfect when you're traveling. So when you're traveling, you know, you do a lot of business with government agencies, you do a lot of business with financial institutions, and understandably, they don't want anything on their network. You know, that's that's a big hassle for them, especially right. for the for the government agencies. Uh, I do have a fun anecdote to tell that I'll, I'll, as a side note, I was at a government agency, I won't say which one, but my cohort at the agency was typing something and he kept getting a typo wrong. And I just reached over to like go, no, this key right here. And everybody in the room goes, no, you can't touch it. So they all like stopped me hand over keyboard. I'm like, uh-huh. okay, I'm going back to my own keyboard now. So uh, <laughs> that's, that's just to illustrate they don't mess, you can't even... You can't even touch their keyboard, let alone, you know, uh, get on their network in a lot of cases, but you still need that network access. And that's where having something like an iPad where you have cellular connectivity comes in handy because you're still going to need to connect back to the home office. You're still going to need to get on the Internet. You're still going to need to do something. And as long as your system is completely self-contained like a phone, that's not really a security risk. Right. Right. They can they see what you're doing. <laughs> you don't really have the power to multitask. You know, it's it's an iOS device. It's contained. They're not really worried about you pulling something off and sticking on the network just because a lot of that limited functionality, but you're also not having to worry about tethering. And in some of these places, you know, I worked at a financial institution where you couldn't create a hotspot. Hmm. So even if you needed to get online, you know, they would come and, you know, slap your hand and go, no, that's not allowed. Yeah. So I don't know how they expected some people to get on the, uh, huh. on, you know, network connectivity, but in what I need to do, as long as those those options are available, and they are, then it's good enough. Now, to a lot of people, that may make a lot of hardcore techie people cringe because they're like, well, what do you mean? What if I want to run a virtual machine? What if I need a database? What if I need something like that? And again, that's where having a VPN and having dedicated machinery set up on the back end that you can remote into comes in handy. You know, as somebody who's worked extensively with things like VMware, even having a beefy laptop and trying to spin up VMs that are going to be usable and demonstrate good enterprise concepts, that's going to be very difficult even on a really, you could have a loaded out Dell or a MacBook or whatever, and it's still not going to be a great experience. Intel. You're still... Uh, MacBook. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yes, exactly. I'm sorry. Yes, an Intel MacBook. Yeah, don't don't get me started on how virtualiz- virtualization has changed under the uh, ARM-only architectures. Yeah, it's going to be... But uh, it's going to be a change. But that's, again, you know, when you go back to what an iPad is for, and you, you hear Steve Jobs way back when say, sometimes you need a car, sometimes you need a truck, having something that you can remote into that's driven, that's purpose-driven for that, that type of purpose is always going to yield you a better experience. So when people say, oh, it's not a real computer, it's like, I can do everything that my job requires with this, and it may not be exactly the way that I would do it on a MacBook. Like I could, you know, just alt-tab between this and this and this and this. You know, I got, I got 20 plus years of muscle memory in me. I know how to make a computer do it a lot quicker than I can sometimes an iPad, but there's trade-offs that you're going to get with that that's going to be a much bigger pain. Like, I may not be able to connect into a network. You know, I may not be able to get a usable network connection. I may not be able to, you know, have something like center stage if I need that for where I'm at. Or you get what I'm saying. Sometimes you're going to, all you need sometimes is just enough computer, right? I need something just enough to run Slack. I need something just enough to run 
And when I've been on both sides of the house where I've needed a computer that was really beefy to do my day-to-day, but then I also needed something that was just good for presentations and some SSHing around just demonstrating a concept, then I really hated having that heavy computer because it was much more than what I needed. It would take a really long time to boot up. You have to wait for antivirus or whatever that you had to do that was corporately mandated. You know, you had a lot of limitations and things imposed on you when really all you needed was something simple to load a PowerPoint or, you know, you go in and... I'm going to SSH in and I'm going to load up this, this cloud management software that I already have, you know, that works in any browser. I mean, why would you want more computer than that? So the traveling aspect is really nice. Being able to use it on a uh, plane, being able to, uh, to put it on a seat back and have that be adjustable. You know, for the many years, I was, I was about double the size that I am now. So flying was already not fun. And having to use a computer at the same time was, was almost a no-go. So, uh, you know, I, I've lost half my body weight over the last few years. And even though I have more room when I'm flying, it's still not a lot of fun when you have, you know, sort of a laptop because people will jam their seat back. And, you know, I've seen laptops that got bent. I've seen, you know, people get really pissed because a drink gets knocked into whatever. Mm -hmm. Uh, You know, people are really not considerate when they fly. So having something that can break down. Now, again, the 12.9, this is why I almost went with the 11 inch, but I couldn't get that great display. So I had to go 12.9. You know, having that is something that you kind of need uh, in situations like that. If you're traveling, what if you want to watch a movie? I'd much rather watch it on an iPad Pro than whatever MacBook Pro screen you're going to give me. Yeah. I mean, it just, it looks better. I could stream things. It's just such a better experience if you're able to do it. And if you have the ability to VPN back into work or home or whatever you need, if you have an edge case. There are times that I needed a Windows machine for something so I could VPN into home and RDP in. Or, you know, VPN back into work and RDP into uh, something that's a VM in a, in a ESX cluster or something somewhere. So I'm a big believer in having enough computing power for what the task requires and not feeling that you have to have overkill. I don't need to have a beefy MacBook Pro that can run 10 VMs if what I'm going to show the client is something that's on a, you know, on an ESX system back in the lab that I can just connect to or more likely than not out in AWS or Azure or Google Cloud, you know. Right. Yeah. And with Zoom, it's it's great. It works in split view, which uh, most camera apps don't. So hopefully that gets addressed uh, uh, next week. Whatever special access that they get from Apple, you know, I know a lot of people are up in arms. I don't care. Keep it coming. Everyone should get that special access next week, I hope. Yes. Yes. I would hope that they would give that to everybody. But, you know, Zoom works really well on iPad and, uh, and iOS. And, you know, if you want to talk about an app that's had some issues, remember, it came out last year on the Mac that they were having to kill the process oh, that's or right. do something. Yep. They were having to give it unfettered root and something else. No worries about that on iOS. No worries about that on no. iPad OS. They can't do that. And Apple's sure not going to pass that out like they would like a special camera API. So, <laughs> yeah, you know, that, uh, again, it's it's more secure than Mac OS. Even, uh, what was it, Phil Schiller said it under oath, you know, this, this past couple of weeks in the Epic trial that uh, Mac OS is kind of a mess when it comes to malware and it's not on iOS. You know, I'm not going to get the same kind of scrutiny if I take in an iPad to a customer that I would if I took in a Mac. It's just, you just won't. Yeah. Uh, the, I guess one of the final things I just want to mention is how great is remote play on the iPad Pro with this XDR display in the fact that PlayStation now supports Rumble and the light bar. Everything's fully supported with their controller natively through the iPad. It is wonderful. Like I used to think that the pinnacle was on my iMac. On the 5K iMac, no, no, the pinnacle is on the iPad right now. And I'm a huge Marvel fan, obviously, and uh, Spider-Man on the PS4 and the Miles Morales sequel. They both look and, and work wonderfully over, I love having a fast land connection in my house, right? Everything is, yeah. is Ethernet that can be. So, 
you know, I've even considered, because I know the iPad supports it, taking my USB-C to uh, Ethernet dongle and going full overkill and, you know, making my <laughs> making my iPad Pro hardwired. <laughs> yeah, and some hubs have the Ethernet as well over Thunderbolt, which would be nice. Yes. So, I mean, if you have to, but, you know, the Wi-Fi in my house, I have the Ubiquiti set up. I have like an enterprise grade Wi-Fi anyway, so it works well enough without it. But man, does it look, does it look nice. Being able to do any of that stuff over your local network, being able to do like the Steam Link, being able to do uh, the PlayStation, the Xbox, it's just, it is a godsend on that display. It is, I cannot emphasize enough. Yeah. Even if it's not HDR content, the the blacks just look great, and the yes. contrast and everything, it looks fantastic, even for SDR content. Yeah, you'll never look at it and go, oh, this is garbage. I want to go play it on my 65-inch OLED. No, no, it still looks good. Yeah, and uh, one of the new Netflix shows came out in 4x3, which is just a, a great time on iPad. you know. Or the uh, the Snyder Cut on HBO Max is another to oh, watch. Oh, yeah, that's true. There's even a black and white rendition, which I, I can't yep. imagine would look amazing. Yeah, but everybody noticed when it came out when they were complaining about the bars. It's like, too bad. The best place to watch it is not is a 12.9-inch iPad. Yep, either iPad and it's, and or it's a, a VR headset uh, is the other place yes. I'd recommend. You know, I haven't tried that on the Oculus, but I, I want to give that a shot if I can do it. Yeah, I, I watched it for a bit on the PSVR, and that was a good experience. And that screen's not the best, but yeah, just seeing it uh, there is, is kind of cool. Yeah. Anything else before we wrap it up? No, I think we, uh, I think we've covered, uh, I think we've covered everything. It's been, this is time has just flown by today, Tim. Yeah. Well, we had a lot of cover and, uh, I wanted to make sure this XDR iPad didn't get short shrift before, uh, the big uh, iPad OS 15, uh, is announced next week. I will be watching that, uh, that, uh, keynote with bated breath, just like everybody else. I, you know, I may even be. I always say I'm never going to do this, and I quit doing this a couple years ago, but I quit installing the betas on just about anything because it was such a disappointment. And then somehow when they would mess with the iCloud backend on stuff, it would mess with the things that you didn't upgrade. Yeah. I, I once lost use of iCloud Sync on my phone for an entire summer because oh, I didn't wow. realize that. I've never had so, that happen, uh, and I've been doing... I installed the betas pretty early on. Uh, I still have my old uh, 10.5-inch iPad Pro around for emergencies. Well, in Apple's defense, they said, don't enable this unless you're... And I was like, ah, who cares? Yeah. And I did it, and it was like, yeah, okay. I, I care, it turns out. <laughs> but yeah, I'll be watching that with uh, with bated breath, and I may even put uh, iPad OS 15 on there just for grins and giggles, just because I'm really, really hoping. They have to know their iPad is so overpowered that the OS can't keep up. It's in every single review that comes out. Like we all know this. So they have to have something. I want some pro apps. Yeah. I want, I want, you know, something that makes this really let this home, really let that, that, that 16 gigs of RAM do something. So it's time to break free of those, those iPhone roots and really get into something awesome over here. And I believe they'll do it. They won't let me down. Come on, Apple. Don't let me down. Yeah. I'm I'm excited. And uh, yeah, as far as betas, it'll be a matter also of are the features only going to be great if developers hook into the APIs in the fall? Or is it system level stuff that is immediately available right away? And the current apps that are good iPad citizens suddenly have the better multitasking or the external monitors uh, because they already did the uh, the foundational things for multi-window. Uh, that'll be curious. So if they do... Hopefully external... it'll be a mixture of yeah. Hopefully it'll be a mixture of both, is yeah, what I'm hoping. Probably. But yeah. but developers have complained so long, so if Apple gives them what they're asking for, I don't know if we'll see Xcode, but I want to see Final Cut. I want to see Logic. I want to see those things on the iPad, if nothing else. I mean, come on, Apple. Yeah. Well, uh, where can people find the podcast? I'm not sure if it's uh, ongoing or what about the podcast is ah yes it's 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 still it's still going on and uh you can find us at uh infinite loopback.com 
And uh, you can find, and that's where, uh, from there, you can find a link to all of our Twitters. I'm Brian B. on Twitter, B-R-I-A-N-B on Twitter. And we are Infin Loopback on Twitter as well. Those will announce, of course, whenever there's a, there's a new episode. But we've been doing that for, since 2016. Uh, we've had some hiatuses here and there with my health problems, with me near, nearly dying a couple of times. But uh, we're still regularly recording uh, 100 and some odd episodes we've done since since 2016. But we're still out there doing it. Very cool. And it's kind of like Apple News commentary, or what's the? Yeah, it's it's sort of an Apple technology focus. We should probably switch that up because there's not usually enough uh, content uh, sometimes for a weekly podcast, which is what our our goal has always been for. But everything has been sort of with an Apple focus. So we've got, we've got uh, four or five guys that cycle in and out depending on their availability. And uh, we've known each other for years and years and years, so it's a very laid-back listen, and we have a lot of fun doing that. And, uh, again, that's uh, you can go to infiniteloopback.com, and that's where you can find us. And uh, I'm Brian B, B-R-I-A-N-B, on uh, Twitter. Great. Well, thank you so much, Brian, for your time. I'll check that podcast out. I appreciate it so much, and uh, thanks for having me. It's, it's been fun being a, a long-time listener, first-time guest. Well, that was my interview with Brian. Make sure to check out his podcast over at infiniteloopback.com. And my thanks to him for his time recording this episode. And my thanks to you for your time and attention tuning in. As a reminder, you can get episodes early and with embedded chapter markers for just a dollar a month over at patreon.com slash iPadPros. With that, I'll talk to everyone again real soon all about iPadOS 15. Thanks for listening, and I'll talk to everyone again real soon.